All right, y'all, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them and let's go to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 12. And I know that that seems strange considering our sermon series is about the book of Jonah. Um, but as you will see, um, Jesus was actually referencing uh, the book of Jonah. So today is the final message in our series uh, and uh, like I said, we're not even going to be in the book of Jonah. We finished Jonah chapter 4 last week, and as much as I would like there to be a Jonah 5, uh, there isn't. Um, love to find out how that story ends. But instead, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to take a look at what Jesus said. Now, I believe that every word of the Bible is true, and that every word was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I flat out believe that, right? Now, there, there were uh, 40 different writers. There's all kinds of different styles. God used earthly people through the Holy Spirit to communicate what he wanted to say. Um, I also believe that the men and the women that we find in the scripture are actual historical beings, right? Uh, that, that, that's what I believe. Um, sorry, my... Uh, the, the notepad that I use, it used to scroll sideways, and now it scrolls up and down. And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm trying to get used to it. But um, such is the case with Jonah. Jonah was an actual human person who walked on this planet. People will, will go, I don't believe that, and you know what, that's on you. Um, and what we've seen in Jonah is that Jonah was a man with a poisoned heart. He started off as a man of God. He was a prophet. Second Kings 14 tells us that. Um, but his heart was black with sin. And even though that was the case, God still used him mightily, both in the lives of the Ninevites, and I'm praying that over the past four weeks, I've been praying this, that, it, that he will have worked mightily in your life as well. And while Jonah was significant, he was a significant person at this time, Jonah was just a picture pointing to someone even greater who was coming down the road. And that one, of course, was Jesus. Jonah was a picture. He was a shadow pointing to Jesus. Just like the moon reflects the light of the sun, Jonah was just a reflection of the perfection that we're going to find in Jesus. So what I want to do is I'm going to read Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. Then we'll pray and we'll take a look at, at how, this, how this works out. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the, of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights." The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you'd be with our time now, Lord. I've been uh, praying over this message. I've been praying for our church. And Lord, I pray that today, uh, today is going to be a, a, a magnificent day that we're going to see we're going to see you move in mighty ways that you're going to uh, change our hearts and uh, change things uh, about us in, in such a way that this will look back and go, yes, this was the day that that took place. Father, move mightily among us. Open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to uh, be more like your son as a result of being here today. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. 
All right, so there are two things that I want us to see here. The first is, if you want to get that slide up there, is Jesus' message is similar to Jonah's message. All right, now let me, let me give you the context of the passage that I just read. Uh, this is a scene from Jesus' life recorded by Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples. All right, it, Matthew was a tax collector, which was a truly despicable position to have. It was an, if you were a tax collector, you were considered essentially the scum of the earth because you were basically selling out your own people to the Roman oppressors. Tax collectors were not good people. Nobody wanted to be around the tax collectors. Um, and he, would, he held this position until Jesus saw him and said, hey, I want you to follow me. And Matthew got up and took off after him. Um, in this particular scene, and, and what we know about the, uh, the book of Matthew is it's not necessarily chronological. It's, it's recorded as, as Matthew wrote it down. Um, but in this particular scene, some of the religious leaders have come to Jesus and they're asking him for a sign. And what the reason that they're doing this is they weren't looking for a magic trick. They didn't want to see Jesus uh, tell them what card he... I, I'm doing the pull the rabbit out of the hat thing, and I'm talking about card tricks. So he, I'm trying to... It's my manipulation. All right, Jack will get that, right? Okay. Anyway, he, they weren't looking for a magic trick. Basically, they were testing Jesus to see what authority he had to be doing the things that he was doing. Um, they were looking to see why, how Jesus was able to teach the things he was teaching and do the things that he was doing. Now, Jesus was in the process of fulfilling a religion that was built upon miracles and signs from God. If you do just a quick read-through of the Old Testament, you can't read very many pages without seeing a sign from God or a miracle take place. The book of Exodus, I didn't take the time to count them, there's probably hundreds of miracles just in the book of Exodus. I mean, we see that with the, with the ten plagues, with the parting of the Red Sea. We see that with uh, getting water out of the rock and then Moses striking the rock. All of those different things, we see that. But here's the thing. The people asking for the sign were not interested in believing in Jesus. right? They were the religious leaders, and their religion was full of these signs and these miracles, all right? There, there were enough of them to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that what God said was true. To go further, Jesus himself had done enough miracles to prove his authority. And for them to, this, this is not a scene that was early in Jesus's ministry. This isn't um, when Jesus was first coming on the scene. So if they had been following him and wanted to believe in him, all of the healings that he had done, everything that Jesus had done to this point should have been enough for them. They were not interested in believing what Jesus had to say. They were not interested in believing who Jesus was. And so Jesus, he, he sees right through this. He gets right to the, point, to the heart of their request, and he calls them out for their apostasy. He calls them out for not wanting to believe. This is why he calls them an evil and adulterous generation. Jesus then drops a bomb on them by discussing Jonah in regards to himself. He says, look, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign you're going to get has to do with Jonah. Jonah will serve as the sign they are looking for, and the people of Nineveh will be the ones to judge them. you got to imagine this was not something 
that these religious leaders wanted to hear. Because you know growing up, they heard the story of the Ninevites. They knew all their history. They knew that, that the Assyrians were awful, horrible people. And Jesus looks at them and goes, hey, when we get to the end of days, guess who's going to be the one judging you? It's going to be the Ninevites. So you know that they were, they were on their heels at that. And if you remember from our study of Jonah, Jonah had to deliver a message of doom to the city of Nineveh. He went in, he had an eight-word message in 40 days, I'm paraphrasing, but in 40 days, Nineveh, you, you think that it's only eight words, I could remember it, but in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. He was to tell them that they were going to be destroyed. And what was the result? The wicked people of Nineveh heard this eight-word message, and they turned to God. But before that happened... Before that happened, we know in the story, before that happened, Jonah got his uh, marching orders from God. And he, he took off, headed toward Tarshish, and God said, well, that ain't going to happen. And he ended up being in the belly of the fish. And that part of the story, Jonah being swallowed by the fish, uh, is often cited as a major reason that people don't believe the Bible. Because they'll, they'll hear that and they say, oh, you believe the Bible is true? You believe every word of the Bible is true? then explain how a man can be in the belly of a fish for three days and come out alive. Here's the thing. That's impossible. That cannot happen unless God is in it. Unless God is in that, then that's not going to happen. But we believe that God was working in that miracle. Because without God, that would be impossible. However, as we're seeing, Jesus believed the story of Jonah... And I think if Jesus believed the story of Jonah, we should probably believe it as well. He, he's the one who would know best. Jesus was delivering to, to his listeners a similar message to that of the one that Jonah had delivered. Jesus was coming to warn the people of Israel of the coming judgment because of their unbelief. He was coming to let them know, there's coming a day where you're going to stand in judgment. And just like Jonah was in the belly of, for three, belly of the fish for three days, Jesus would be in the ground and would rise from the dead after three days. And just like Jonah warned that God was going to overthrow the city of Nineveh, Jesus was telling his listeners that God was going to overthrow their sin. When Jonah was giving that message to uh, the Ninevites, the word overthrow is a war term. In the Hebrew, it has, it has the, uh, the idea of, of going to war and, and throwing to the ground and basically smashing, all right? That's what God, Jonah was telling the Ninevites that God was going to do to their city. In, the same, in, in a similar fashion, Jesus was coming and telling his listeners, there's coming a day where God is going to overthrow your sin. He's going to put your sin down. He's going to put an end to the rebellion against him. And what is that rebellion? Our rebellion against God is our sin. And, and, and we, could get into, we could get into the fact of we could like start to list out sins and, and do all of these things. And a lot of times we think sin is something that affects other people. We think that, oh, well, if somebody, if somebody steals something, steals something from me, that's a sin. Or if, if somebody does wrong by me, that's a sin. Or, you know, it, it always involves somebody doing something to us. That's a sin. But when we get to the root of it, sin is not against us. It's against Almighty God. When we sin, our sin is an affront 
to a holy God. And we've, we've talked about Isaiah 6 many times. You want to see the holiness of God, look at Isaiah chapter 6. Side note for just a second. Um, there's, a, there's a website called the Babylon Bee. And the Babylon Bee does uh, satirical Christian news. And, and they, they kind of poke fun at, uh, at, at, at things about Christianity and stuff. And it, it's, it's actually quite humorous if you have a sense of humor. Some people don't get it. But anyway, this week one of the, uh, the headlines was... Um, uh, praise band asked to see God's glory, thousands dead, okay? And, and, and the reason being is in, in the scripture, and I realize I'm totally sidetracking here, um, in the scripture, anytime somebody came in, 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 in the glimpse of God's glory, because they were sinful, they ended up dead, all right? That's why in Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah lost his mind when he started to see the glory of God come into the temple, Right? When we sin, we, it is an affront against God's glory. Y'all were wondering how I was going to bring this back around. All right? When we sin, it is an affront to, to God's glory. And there are two main roots of sin. When we, when we think of all the sin that there is, there are essentially two roots that sin comes out of. The first one is pride. And pride is when we believe that we know how to live our lives better than God knows how we should live our lives. And so we look at God and we say, God, this is my life. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You're over here, right? I'm going to put you, God, I want you in my life, but I want to be in control. That's what pride is. We tell God that we don't need him and that our way is better than his way. It was pride that caused Jonah to run from God's command. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to reject God's commands in the Garden of Eden. And it is pride that keeps us from being fully committed to the things of God in our life. If we're not fully committed to the things of God in our life, if we're, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school, if we're just checking off a box by being here this morning, and we're not fully committed to being here, to worshiping God through our song, and through our giving, and through the study of God's word, if we're not fully committed to those things, that's pride. Because we're telling God, God, I want these things, but not at the expense of what I want. I think I'm jumping ahead of myself here a little bit. Proverbs 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 2. I'm going to actually read this from a different translation. This is from the uh, English Standard Version. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. The other root of sin is one that we discussed a couple weeks ago, and that's idolatry. So we have, we have the root of, root of sin is pride, thinking we know better than God. And the other root is idolatry. Idolatry is making something or someone, even yourself, more important than God. My interests and my desires are more important than what God wants for me. That's idolatry. The Hebrew concept of worship deals with weight. It deals with priorities. And the things that, the things that whatever we give the most weight to is what is most important. When we give more weight to earthly things, even if they're good things, like our children, like our jobs, like, like our hobbies, like our football team, whatever it may be, when we give more weight, when we give more priority to those things than we do the things of God, those things have become an idol. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail. Most, if not all of us, if we were to take time and reflect... We have idols in our lives that we need to destroy. John Calvin, his name popped up this morning. 
John Calvin says that the human heart is an idol factory. Even as soon as we destroy one, our heart is going to create another idol factory. It is only through the grace of God and working in the Holy Spirit that we're able to put these idols aside. So like Jonah, Jesus was delivering a message of judgment. There is a judgment coming for those who fail to believe. And while Jonah's message had a specific time, Jesus did not give a specific time frame. But don't miss this. There is a day of judgment coming. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for people to die once, after this, judgment. There are some of us, some of us maybe sitting in this room, some of us watching via Facebook if we're there listening to the podcast, or we know people who are playing a dangerous game of chicken. Y'all know what chicken is? Chicken is where one person's on one side and one person's on another, and you run at the other person, and at the very last second, whoever steps out is the loser. Some people will play chicken with, uh, chi- they'll play chicken with a train, and the train always wins, right? Yeah, it, it, it always happens. Some of us are playing a very dangerous game of chicken when it comes to belief in Jesus. You know that there has never been a time where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But you're banking on your good works or the fact that you grew up in church or the fact that your grandmother was a member of a church somewhere. You're banking on those things to get you into heaven. That's a dangerous path, dangerous path to be on because, as Jonah stated, salvation belongs to God. Our salvation is only available to us through trusting in Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible every single day. The only way that you will be saved from the judgment is through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Some of us here today have loved ones who are living this way. Or you may be saying to yourself, well, it's their decision. I can't make that decision for them. I'm just going to trust that they're going to be okay. Some of us have brothers and sisters who are living that way. Some of us have um, mothers and fathers who are living that way. Some of us have uh, husbands or wives who are living that way. That we know that we know that there is that they need to make a decision for Jesus. You can tell I'm getting kind of a, uh, amped up about this. We know that they need to make a decision for Jesus. But we sit back and we go, well, that's on them. We sit back and we go, I can't make that decision for them. I can't nag them anymore. Here's the thing. Yes, you can. You keep nagging them until they're here in church. right? I hear excuses. I'm fired up right now. I hear excuses all the time. Of, oh, if I say something to him, he's going to get mad. Who cares? Who cares if he gets mad? Because if they're not a Christian, if they're not a believer, you know where they're going to end up? They're going to end up in hell. And we cannot sit back and let that happen. All right? I'm sorry. I, I, I realize I'm getting excited. There are some people who will make a claim that they are a believer. 
They'll tell you, I'm a believer. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. You look at their life, there is no indication whatsoever that they are a believer. As a believer, we are part of the body of Christ. But if you are not attached, if you are not actively participating in the body of Christ, you know what you are? You're dead, right? If I have five fingers on my hand and one of them gets cut off, guess what? It's dead. It's not a part of the body any longer, right? We have brothers and sisters. We have husbands and we have wives. We have um, children, who are not living for Jesus, and we go, well, I can't do anything about it. There's not anything I can do about it. You can clearly tell that I'm fired up about this because so many of us sitting in this room today, and you get mad at me if you want to, there are some of us sitting in this room today who have, I have heard that excuse from so many times. We don't get to make that decision, right? We can't, we can't force them to Jesus but we also can't sit back and let them die, all right? We, we just, we, I, I've lost my place in my notes, but you know what, I don't care. Um, if we sit back and say, it's their decision, that should break us. Our hearts should break for the fact that we have brothers and sisters who live in this neighborhood, who live five miles down the road from us, who are not participating actively in the body of Christ, that should break our hearts. We should be weeping over that. And for others of us, we are forfeiting the grace of God in this life because we're working so hard for the things in this life. You, we won't lose our salvation. If you're a believer, you're not gonna lose your salvation, but you've pushed the things of God so far away in pursuit of earthly things that you're missing the benefits of a relationship with Jesus Christ right now here on this earth. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Jesus' message was similar to that of Jonah's. But there was something better. Jesus' message is greater than Jonah's message. You guys want to flip the, the slide back there for me? While Jesus had a similar message to that of Jonah's, the message of Jesus is actually infinitely greater. First, Jonah never told the Ninevites of God's grace and mercy. Right? If you think back, Jonah only said, hey, he's coming to destroy you. He's coming to tear you apart. Really, that's all in the, it, it fits into the five words that he was saying. They, they, they were able to uh, read into that. Um, he simply told them the judgment was coming. And that's, this is why the king said, we need to have a fast because who knows, maybe God will relent. They weren't sure of what was going to happen, but they weren't gonna take any chances. Maybe God will relent. For you and me, those of us that are believers, we have a confidence that God will forgive our sins because of Jesus. Because Jesus is the center of that message, we have confidence in that. We have the promise of God's grace. John 3, 16 says, for God, so loved the, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And John 6, 37 says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. The second part of that is Jesus' message had a richness to it. 
The Ninevites only had a hope that God would relent. We know that Jesus took our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him he might become the right, we might become the righteousness of God. And we can rest in the promise of God that our salvation is secure because of Jesus Christ. Our focus, our, our salvation is centered in Jesus Christ. We are secure because of that. Finally, the message of Jesus is greater because of the character of the one who delivered it. Uh, in a book called Surprised by Grace, I'm only going to give you the, the author's first name because I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, the guy's first name is Tullian. He made a list comparing Jonah to Jesus. So I'm going to share just a few of them for you. Uh, first off, Jonah ran from his assignment. Jesus ran toward his assignment. Jonah came only because he had to. Jesus, became, Jesus came because he wanted to. Jonah sat outside the city and hoped for Nineveh's destruction. We looked at that last week. Jesus stood outside Jerusalem and wept and pleaded for the salvation of the people inside. Jonah delivered his message because he knew God would kill him if he didn't. Jesus was going to deliver his message even though he knew it was going to kill him. See the differences between the two? Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea because of his sin. Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath for our sin. Jonah was taken into the darkness for three days because of his disobedience. Jesus was taken into the darkness of death because of our disobedience. Je Jonah wallowed in self-pity and cursed God when God showed mercy to Nineveh. Jesus depicted himself as a father who yearns for the return of his son so badly that he runs to meet him and forgives him before he can even say, I'm sorry. Jesus is the greater and truer Jonah. Let me read uh, Matthew 21 verse, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, 41 says this. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. So here's the reality of all of this. Here, here's, here's what this breaks down to. You and I, we are without excuse. We don't have an excuse because as Jesus points out, those that lived in Nineveh believed. Jesus looked at the, his religious, the, the religious leaders of his day and he said, listen, you've got no excuse. You're asking for a sign because you don't want to believe. You don't have an excuse because these horrible, despicable people in Nineveh heard that destruction was coming and they believed. And because they believed, they will stand in judgment over you because you're choosing not to believe. The problem that most of us face is not with our heads. It's a heart issue. We have a heart issue. We, because our, heart, our heads are making excuses that we either don't want to believe the message of Jesus or because we don't want to be obedient to what God is calling us to. We can come up with all of the excuses in the world, but it's not in our head. It's because our heart doesn't want to do what God is telling us to do. Our head is making excuses for our hearts. 
As we've already looked at in this series, the reason we won't believe or follow is because of our pride and our idolatry. And when we do that, we forfeit God's grace. We either forfeit it in eternity or we forfeit it in the here and now because we're making, we're making earthly things more important than what God has for us. For some of us, we're forfeiting God's grace in eternity. Instead of trusting Jesus for salvation, we're trusting the idols of our good works or our church membership to save us. We will miss God's grace because our idols are blocking our path. There are people who are going to make all kinds of excuses. They're going to say, oh, I, I can't go to church for this reason, or I don't like going to that church for this reason, or this, that, or the other. There's all of these, you know, 10 years ago, somebody looked at me out of the left side of their eye instead of the right side, so I'm not going back to that church. Right? Everybody has excuses on why they can't follow God. But one day we're going to be before the judgment and God's going to ask us why we didn't do the things that he called us to. And you know what's going to happen? Our idols are going to get real small then. Right? When we stand before God in his glory, he's going to say, why didn't you do what I told you to do? Why didn't you believe? Why didn't you follow me? And our idols that look so big now and look so important right now are going to shrink and they're going to get small. And one of those idols, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of those idols is our fear of acceptance. There's a, there, there's a term that, that I didn't know what it meant because I'm old. Um, not old as some of you, but um, yeah, there it is. All right. Some of y'all, some of y'all laugh. Thank you. Yeah, it's called, it called FOMO. All right. I didn't know what FOMO was. It's the fear of missing out. I had to have a nine-year-old tell me that. All right. Some of us have made an idol of the fear of missing out, and we're so afraid of talking to people who know, need to know about Jesus, or people who are on a dangerous path leading them away from the things of God because we're afraid they're not going to like us anymore, or we're afraid they're not going to invite us to things. Right? That's, some of us are there. Some of you are past that age, and you're like, I don't care, whatever. Right? Okay, that's fine. That's, that's good. I'm, old, I'm not even 40 yet. I still worry about those things. I still worry about what people think about me. And this week, I came face to face with that. I came face to face with, oh no, what if this person is upset with me? And there were people who were upset with me this week. I know you're going to find that hard to believe. There were people who were upset with me this week. And it bothered me. And it, 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 was, it was to the point where like, I, I'm pacing back and forth because I'm trying to find the words I'm trying to say. I was deeply concerned, and then I sat down and started studying for this, and I realized it doesn't matter what people think of me. As long as my God is pleased with the things that I'm doing, that's all that matters. My identity is not wrapped up in what people in this church think of me. My paycheck might be, but my identity is not wrapped up in, in whether I did the right thing or I said the right thing or I did something wrong. That's not who I am. My identity is I am a child of God. And as soon as I came to the realization, and you would think as a pastor that I would know this, but when it clicked in my head, suddenly everything fell into place. And I realized, yes, I'm going to make mistakes and people are going to be mad at me. But as long as I am right with God Almighty, that's what matters most. I realize that that has nothing to do with what I'm saying here. I just felt like I needed to say it. 
Some of us are forfeiting God's grace in eternity. For others of us, we're forfeiting God's grace in this life. Instead of finding, oh, actually, it fits in with what I just said. Instead of finding our identity in Jesus Christ, we're spending our lives trying to find our value in the things we own or the job that we have or the people we're friends with. We're looking for God's grace in our accomplishments instead of resting in the fact that we already have God's grace because of Jesus Christ. We're going to close here in just a minute, um, but we're going to do something different. Normally, and, and, and I, I prayed about whether, whether to do this or not, normally as we, as we close, Diana will come up here and she'll play a song and we'll all stand up and we'll sing. Um, and, and then at the end of the song, we'll, we'll pray and we'll go home. Here's what we're going to do today. Because I, and, and I feel like God has really laid this on my heart. Um, I want all of us to do business with God. I want every single one of us that's in this room this morning to do business with God because every single one of us has something that we need to do business with God about, all right? For some of us, we've made an idol. Some of us need to confess that we've made an idol of our good works and we need to trust Christ for salvation. Others, we may need to confess that we've made other things more important than the things of God. Some of, us have, some of us have loved ones, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, children who are far from God. Whether that's they, have a, they need to have a relationship with God or there was a time where they claimed to have a relationship with Jesus, but you look at their lives and they are not exhibiting any aspect of it. So most of us have someone like that in our lives. And this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to cry out to God. I want you to cry out, and I want you to beg God to save their soul. We're not going to be Jonah, and we're not going to sit back, and we're not going to let people go to hell because of our lackadaisical attitude about it. We're no longer going to be apathetic about our loved ones who are dying and going to hell, or our loved ones who claim to be believers but are living far from God. That's no longer acceptable. We're going to cry out and we're going to beg God to save them. Some of us have children that are, that are far from God. We need to pray and ask God to save them. We need to pray and ask God to bring them back. Some of us have brothers and sisters who are making excuses as to why they can't follow Jesus. We need to pray and ask God to bring them back. That's what I want us to do this morning. Diana's going to play the song. She's going to play two or three verses. We're just going to pray. We're not going to sing. We're not going to do anything. We'll maybe stand and sing the last verse when you get there, just the signal to me. I will be up front. There's a good chance that I'm going to be praying. There's things that I need to deal with God, to, to take before God. Um, they're, they're, sorry, I'm losing my, losing my thoughts here. This morning needs to be a time where we do business with God. We need to forgive people. We need to tell people that we're sorry. We need to cry out to God and ask him to save our loved ones. And if you don't have a loved one, I, I, I pray that you do. But if you don't, pray for this church. Pray that we would be unified. That whatever, whatever is keeping us from being unified and being the force for God's kingdom in Jefferson County, whatever it is that's keeping us from doing that, that God would remove that so that we can become that force for the kingdom of God in Jefferson County. That's what we're praying for this morning, folks.
Um, let me go ahead and pray. Diana's going to come and she's going to. And then I, I just want you to pray for a few minutes.